This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners and viewers like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And to stay updated with video releases, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and thanks for watching. I'm Rani Shatar, and this is The Beirut Banyan. It's an honor to get to meet the face behind the written word. And I'll start off by saying that it's the second time we've met. Uh, we just had our first introduction a few days ago at Alia in Jemmeze. And uh, I think from that conversation alone, I figured out very quickly that we're going to have an expansive discussion on finance. Because I think as much as we try to talk about everything else, money came up. Economics came up, the financial crisis was central to our conversation, and that's just getting to know each other. Now, before we start the discussion, I'm going to note that you uh, already threw Pshadachuri <laughs> on his head, so let's put him back. All right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, let's fix Pshadachuri. I have Riyad Salah today. And that's important to know because you made it clear from the beginning. Uh, you actually mentioned it up front, the confession. So I'm like, you know what? Let's put up my confession too. The power sharing gone wrong. <laughs> and this is a quick shout out to KindNets. They uh, designed this for us. The portable tarbush. Yeah, they look nice. I think so. It's a wintry sort of feel as well. So, Abela, uh, I read your column and Lorian today. Uh, I'm not an expert on anything related to the economic crisis, even though I sometimes pretend to understand everything. Um, I learn from writers like yourself. And if we could start with the most current situation and we can reflect on it and go back as far as necessary. Uh, my limited understanding is that dollars are being pumped from the central bank back into the market. And this is perhaps a, I don't know if reckless is the right word, but this is a, it's a controversial decision. And I think, if I understand it right, it's at the side of a side of a rate, so that banks can now purchase dollars, something like twenty-two thousand lira to the dollar yeah, at this point, yeah. something like that. So, if you can unpack what's going on and why it's considered a controversial move, and whether or not this is simply burning depositors' dollars, just to understand what's going on, because I, I get from social media and get from other other writers that this is not necessarily the right move. So as much as you can reflect on this current current decision. Uh, before I start, I just want to say that I'm happy to be here. And I've been a fan of your podcast uh, for, for some time. And I've been following uh, most of your guests. <laughs> a gift from you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> so that, that's that's uh, what, what I what I used to what I'm used to doing. So if I'm invited to someone's oh, house, oh, you're coming I back in every week. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So. Uh, Again, I'm happy to be here, and um, it's an opportunity, of course, to, like you said, to have a face connected to the writing. But before I start, I just want to say that uh, for me, it's been a transition because mm. I've worked in the markets for a long time, and I've worked in banking for, for around 20 years, uh, mostly in trading and portfolio management position. So the transition was a natural extension for me, mm -hmm. uh, covering the financial markets and the economy for Lorient. Uh, because as well as I wanted to be, I wanted to work more towards financial literacy. And this is mm. something that I started even before leaving banking. I was working with around 10 different universities in Lebanon. And, and this uh, is before October 17th, so before the protests yeah, began. Yeah, that, was, okay. that started actually in 2015. Okay. So we were working with a couple of universities initially, and then we expanded. Mm. That was at the Blum Bank. And I was working with uh, Alexandre Muradian, who's the vice governor now, the fourth vice, vice governor. So we had this, this, this plan to expand through schools and to teach uh, financial literacy and to try to uh, bridge the gap mm -hmm. between market knowledge and theory. So, uh, and I wanted to, uh, 
let's say, expand on the exposure, to increase the exposure. So from just uh, teaching or uh, advising students, I wanted that to become on the level of the whole country. I see. So that was my initial uh, premise from transitioning from banking to journalism, is to have a bigger platform. I, you know, I'm glad you're actually taking us back a bit further. So that, I mean, I, to be honest, your name was not immediately familiar when I saw your first column in, in Lorient today. But I quickly understood that you come from the, you're not from the banking sector, but you have expertise in the system. You're not somebody who's just talking for the sake of talking. You actually, you know the system yourself, and that's at least three to four years of trying to navigate in a very complicated mess. So do you think that that's the structural advantage you have when you're able to at least offer perspective? Because I know that from your writing, I, I sense that it, this is not political activism. This is more just a neutral observation and trying to dissect it, almost yeah. like a doctor would. So is, is that the prism you operate from when you're writing? Yes, that's... I have to mention one thing that uh, most of my professional experience has been like uh, uh, focused on international markets. Mm-hmm. And I was more involved, I'm more concerned about what the Fed is doing, the ECB is doing, the Bank of Japan is doing, their monetary policies, their the fiscal policies and the impact on the markets and uh, similar, similar things. Mm. Uh, my interest in the Lebanese financial markets was limited to um, what I was hearing what I was monitoring, uh, we had a couple of uh, portfolios focused on the Lebanese market and fixed income and equities. Mm. And of course, I had colleagues talking about uh, these things most of the time. Yeah. And I didn't even watch the news at that time, right. local news. So you're really, in, I mean, you were focused solely on the on the markets in a sense, without going into the political disaster that we yeah. were witnessing. Yeah. yeah. So so I so I, what I was what I was hearing in the office was. Mainly technical talk on what, mm. what, what's mm. happening in the market, what's happening under the surface, what's happening in the eurobond, on the yields, on the CDS, which are mm. the, the, the insurance for, for, for the eurobonds. So, and we could see that there were cracks in the market a lot. And these were just specific market things. Mm. If you look back and look at the macroeconomic picture, at the economic picture, you look at the balance of payments, you look at the budget deficits, you know, the writing was on the wall that. Lebanon was not in a, let's say, a healthy economic condition. Yeah, yeah. But there was like, like this joke that, that, that was always told that uh, the World Bank sends economists to Lebanon and they don't figure out what's wrong with it. They say it's just working, so let's keep it working. Oh. And that, 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 that was like, it's just something will happen. Mm. A miracle will happen. I would just like the economic, uh, let's say, situation will continue as is. Yeah. But under the surface, we've we've seen that the central bank was running a deficit in his uh, balance uh, in his statement in his mm. financials. We had Paris and all the different international uh, money raising uh, yeah. events to to help us, uh, let's say, continue uh, during the last twenty uh, years. Well, you know what? So let's let's go this. Let's take a, an unusual route. Let's start from today and work backwards. Okay, rather than putting the whole burden on you in terms of what happened, because I think that's, unfortunately, that's a whole series, I think, yeah, podcast yeah, series. Yeah, so let's start yeah. with what's happening right now and move backwards accordingly. Do you think of measures being taken today, like pumping dollars into the market? Is that the way forward out of this mess? I think even if it were, which is not, hmm. It needs a different approach because what we've witnessed for the last 20 years is just one one engine working out of two, which is we've had only the monetary policy being involved. The fiscal mm. policy was mainly absent. Governance was mainly absent. Mm. So it was always the central bank coming up with financial shenanigans, uh, financial engineering, uh, circumventing the system and trying to, uh, let's say, uh, preserve the economy mm, for mm. the last 20 years. Unchecked. I like that ana- that analogy. Two engines, one working. So it can still fly, but it can't really yeah. take off yeah, yeah. properly. Yeah, or it, even it, it's a risk. It, it took to off be. for 20 years, but <laughs> eventually it, it, it came to an end. Right. 
And then you, you don't have any accountability. Mm-hmm. You don't have any, there is no transparency. In the, 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 the central bank hasn't mm-hmm. published any proper financial statements since practically early 2000. Yeah. So, and, and I don't think it's just specific to the central bank. I think that's an issue that we face in Lebanon, that we mm-hmm. suffer from in Lebanon. I think mm-hmm. from the family businesses to the government uh, institutions to all the departments, we suffer from this lack of accountability and lack of transparency. And that extends to the top, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. So the central bank was operating in a way that he was the last resort in this economy in terms mm-hmm. of backing the economy. He came up with all these measures, housing loans. He came up with all these measures to finance SMEs, to finance the knowledge economy. Uh, so in a way, he stepped in and played a bigger role. But it was not his to play. And he, he did all of this without even uh, having, let's say, coordinated or having the other side of uh, the spectrum, which is the government and the parliament and involved in whatever is being done. So let's actually, let's hone in as much as possible. And I like your, the way you're describing it. The fiscal policy was absent, yeah. or at least a coherent yeah. policy. Co- yeah. So what the, the current, current decisions being taken, is this what a, is this crisis management or is this just winging it? Because I'm trying to understand why policies being taken now are not necessarily correct from somebody who understands it much better than me i think that there's a lack of uh, understanding there's a lack lack of uh, coordination i think that the political uh, issues they spill over on the economic reality and it becomes very difficult to coordinate on the stuff Mm. Uh, i don't know if it's incompetence because maybe it's not the most suitable candidate who's leading the, the reforms. Mm. It's it's more political than competence. So even these current decisions are on the polit- uh, political decisions that are not going to heal the economic disaster. They're more po- politics in the in the rotten sense. Yeah, because we've we've seen a lot of like back and forth. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not transparent what they're trying to do with the, on the on, I'm saying on the fiscal side. Yeah. It's yeah. not transparent what they're doing in terms of budget, in terms of uh, social uh, nets, in terms mm. of it's it's like uh, bits and pieces. You know, yeah. It's like a big puzzle and they try to uh, put this piece here, put this yeah. piece there without looking at the bigger picture. You know, I think a lot of people they've been mentioning, you know, we need a, a comprehensive economic plan. It's not like just fix this and then fix that. Right. So the government initially, they tried to work on the distribution of losses. Yeah. You know, the first thing that they got is the, what is the size of the loss, which was at this point, I think it's, it's immaterial. Yeah. You know, if it's $69 billion or $100 billion or $200 billion, Doesn't even it's matter a big hole. Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. We're never going to be able to get the money back. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the economy that shrunk to $20 billion. GDP wise. Yeah. And we're talking about 60, 70 or 80 billion dollars in terms of deficit on the balance sheet in terms of wow. deposits. So imagine if we just work for 4 years all of us combined just we can generate this kind this this, this amount. <laughs> so numbers they become a bit uh, and that's an optimistic figure. That's on the more conservative uh, that's yeah. just the financial that's sector just, yeah. losses. We're not right. talking about the losses experienced yeah. In the system, yeah. on the SMEs, on the businesses, on on the on the people, yeah. The negative the negative social impact that we've seen poverty. You know, we're talking about eighty percent, and we talk about statistics, but under these statistics, you have people. Eighty you percent know, of the people are living in poverty. So it's it's yeah. it's 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 mind numbing, you know, to consider these numbers. Well, let's so since you monitor these things closely, if you can, in in layman's terms. Could you explain to somebody like me who doesn't really get it why the lira rate was fluctuating so dramatically the last 10 days or so? It went from something outrageous like 33,000 lira yeah. to I think today is at 23,000. And it's, it's gone up and down in the last 10 yeah. days. Sort of. It could be 27 tomorrow. So what, what, what is going on? Why is it playing the way it is? And does that have to do with this sort of, in, sort of interjecting 
dollars at the site of a rate to banks. I'm trying to understand really what what's going on right now. Look, the, the, the currency market is always discounts, whatever is going to happen. So it's uh, it's a forward-looking mechanism. Mm. When the currency market sees that there's no progress on the IMF talks, mm, mm. there's no progress on the budget, and you have all this uh, political brinksmanship mm-hmm. between the different parties, yeah. that's not going <laughs> to lead anywhere. And it's sometimes just for show, sometimes it's for real, nobody knows. Mm-hmm. The, it, it, the market realizes that recovery is not a foregone conclusion. So it's, Anytime it's been, soon. It's been reacting to... Of course. So why, could you maybe then explain why did it reach 33,000 less than 10 days ago and why is it at 23,000 right now? What, what exactly is going on? So okay. that the market reacts accordingly. Okay. When, when the market was was really uh, depreciating quickly, when it's, mm. it's losing, the lira was losing value quickly, yeah. it, it reached a certain point where you had all this public outcry. And don't forget, mm-hmm. you are in elections year, and you have the uh, negotiation with the with the IMF yeah. ongoing. Right. And something needs to be done, and I think this is the low hanging fruit. Asking asking mm-hmm. Riyad Salemi mm-hmm. or to intervene in the market to stop the drop. I see. I so, think it's the low-hanging fruit. So that's what happened. Yeah. Is that this interjection is what took it down to twenty three? But from your side, and this could be opinion; doesn't have to be. Uh, I mean, just how you understand it. Is this a reckless decision in terms of where we are right now? Does it does it push the ball? Does it kick the can? In other words, is this going to catch up with us? Yeah, of course. Of how, course. how would that materialize? Because I really want to know why this current decision is an anticipation for worse things to come. We've lost practically around $20 billion in foreign currency reserves mm-hmm. since 2019. We're down to 12 and a half to 14 billion dollars. Okay? That's other yeah. than the gold that we have. Right, right. Okay. And this money is the reserve requirements of banks. So banks, mm-hmm. they have to put a certain amount with mm-hmm. the central bank. Yeah. That's the reserve uh, required reserve requirement. Right. Okay. So... Now, the central bank is dipping into these funds and using them to intervene in the market. So he's pumping, injecting these dollars into the system to try to control the lira, to make it seem that everything is okay and to make things things more stable. So the focus would shift from the currency market towards the budget and towards the IMF. I see, I see. So that's from a strategy perspective. But on the ground, everything is benchmarked in, in lira. So right. if you look, for example, one measure that's widely used is the minimum wage. Yeah. So the minimum wage in Lebanon is still 675,000 liras. If you divided that by 33, you would have got $20. Yeah. So the minimum wage in Lebanon got to a point where probably it was the lowest in the world, one of the lowest in the world. So this is a purely political decision to put the focus on what hasn't happened, which is the IMF deal. Yeah. And let's go there. I know this is something that's been discussed thoroughly the last two years or so, and it's also been discussed for the reasons why we don't have an IMF deal. And I know that that is a political problem more than anything. But where we are right now and the possibility for seeing something happen, at least in the coming months, do you think it is simply just a, a matter of time before things get to the point that you will have an IMF deal, that the political decisions that are being taken now can no longer be taken? Because I'm, I'm wondering I'm wondering two things, really. Do we see an IMF deal happening before the elections? And if it doesn't happen before the elections, is this just pure politics, throwing it onto the next government and seeing if they can do it? Because I, I can't see any other way out of this entire mess other than an IMF deal. Yeah. And I don't know if that's too naive for me to think that, but I just simply, I can't imagine recovery uh, otherwise. There would have been, we would have been able to manage uh, out of the, this crisis. Mm. If there's trust and there's 
if there's a, you had a team that's working together in order yeah. to get us out of this crisis. Mm. But the, the problem, there is no trust and their methods have failed. Yeah. Their management of the country has failed. So why would you trust the same team to uh, to get you from from uh, from point A to point B? So that's really in the early months of the crisis that there was the the opportunity lost for for you that. lost a year. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you lost a full year. Full, yeah, right. That you could have taken advantage of to start working on the reforms and mm-hmm. working on the recovery. Yeah, without an, we can do that without the IMF. Right. What the IMF brings is. Uh, is I th- I think it it's more conditional. It's more uh, how would you say? No, I, yeah, uh, that there's conditions required. There are conditions, yeah, conditions and it pushes you to be to con- to conform. Mm-hmm. It pushes you to enact certain uh, uh, reforms on the level right. of governance, on the level of accountability. Yeah. Uh, so at least you know that the numbers that you're talking about are correct. So if you're working on the budget, you mm-hmm. know that the numbers are correct. You know that the n- numbers are closer to the market and you're not just uh, uh, creating or preparing a budget based on the peg or any right. other rate. So yeah. the, what the IMF brings to the table is, um, I think it, would, it forces everyone to conform. It forces everyone mm. uh, to play by the rules because... The IMF can at any point in time say you're not conforming to the rules, so there's no financial assistance. Even if you reach uh, the second level, Mm -hmm. it can at any point in time tell you no more money for you. Now, that's a very that's a very simple and thorough explanation for why we haven't had an IMF deal. Because that happens. That's happening. That happened with Pakistan. Pakistan at some point in time, they got the approval for for uh, for assistance. Yeah. And then COVID hit, so they had to uh, exceed uh, their fisc- their their budget, the, bu- the deficits on the on their budget. So it was the the assistance was was uh, was stopped, and now they are renegotiating again with the IMF. And we have not even gotten we we're not even close. I think at this no. point, no, right? No. So let's from your understanding of. The current government's policies, I don't know if it's fair to ask you their intention, but let's say their, their, their policies. As much as you can offer in terms of the current government, we know that the cabinet hasn't met since October, although it's supposed to meet to discuss the budget. Yeah. I think that is scheduled now. Within um, the next week. Within the next week. Yeah. Let's assume it'll happen. Uh, do you, do you, as somebody who's observed this situation closely, do you see an IMF deal happening before May, before the parliamentary elections? And assuming everything goes well, that's great. I know it's a great. It's, 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 it's the well said. Yeah. Assume, so, their their uh, talks are supposed to start end of this month, over Zoom. Mm, yeah. And. I think it's just like in their preliminary stage. Historically, empirically, generally countries needed four to six months to sign with the IMF. But from, then, from beginning to end, the whole process. Yes, yeah. but, but then again, that's actually to close the deal. Right. But right. progress, progress on that file, progress on the talks will definitely... Uh, send back a positive message to the Lebanese and to the international community that we are sitting at the we are at the table we are negotiating and we are planning to take this till the end mm-hmm. so it's always about sentiment so the positivity has to happen as well it's not just negotiations yeah but I, I'm sorry to sort of repeat myself a bit but in your in your experience and from what you're seeing and the way things are moving, do you think it's possible still at this point? I mean, because it's f- six months. That's the, let's say, the tail end. We're already looking at summer. And it'll take forever for a government to form. It mm. always takes months, if not years. So is this just a 
indefinite deal that we may not see it actually happen? It could be. Mm. It could be. But what's the alternative? I don't want to imagine uh, a future where you don't have an IMF deal and this the same conditions continue to apply. Uh, what's next? That's a question I ask myself. What's next yeah. for this country? If we are not... Any, we, we've had our chance in 2020 to finalize an agreement with IMF. We blew it. We have a second chance now to sit with the IMF, and I hope we don't blow it because I don't think we're going to have a third chance. Mm. I think the, 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 the biggest variable for the time being is parliamentary elections. A variable, not necessarily in a positive way. Yes, it's it's, or I mean, it's. I think no. it's a, it's it's more. It has downside risk than it has upside risk. Right. Because I, the international community, I think they've already warned everyone that mm. if the elections they don't happen on time, then there's a problem. Right. So I don't yeah. want to imagine a future where we don't have an IMF deal. Yeah. The same situation continues. Uh, our reserves, our foreign, our for, the foreign currency, the central bank, continues to be depleted. Deplete. Yeah. What's next? How? How? And I'm trying to think. What could be? What are the solutions that we could work out ourselves to get out of this crisis? There are none. Well, let's go there. Let's let's let's. I mean, you're. We're hoping for the slightly more optimistic finale to that disaster. But let's just assume things do not go in a more positive way, that you end up in a situation where the central bank continues to deplete its reserves and there's no IMF deal and the country is more or less in the current status quo indefinitely. What happens? Is it a situation where literally the country's economy spirals further into the unknown? Yeah, of course. And it... So that means, I mean, and hyperinflation that just takes off and doesn't stop necessarily, that it, it plummeting. Yeah. Probably the only positive thing in this whole story is the remittances. Uh-huh, yeah. That's, prob- that's the only backstop that we have for the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The gold yeah. that we have on, if it's there. There are some doubts about it. <laughs> really? Is there speculation that the gold's not there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, that's. <laughs> that's. I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised actually. You I open the be, door and, uh, and find there's like a IOU. Sorry, we took it. <laughs> it's like a little note. Yeah, it's a sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and we have around like twelve to fourteen billion dollars in foreign currency reserves. Mm. So, imagine nothing happens. Yeah. So we're going to be living off the remittances and we're going to start at some point in time thinking of selling the gold or selling off state assets. Yeah, well, that's something I wanted to ask you about. Well, yeah, we'll go back there, but please keep going. But if the lira, there's nothing to backstop the lira at this point in time. And if it hits fifty, a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand, there's, mm. there's no, doesn't have any value anymore. Yeah. Because confidence won't be there to backstop it. Assets won't be there to backstop it. Liquidity won't be there to backstop it. And you'd lost the, the, the cooperation of the international community with no IMF, IMF deal. Right. So no variable would be... Um, you have nothing to save you. So the, really the, the, the whole issue is trying to freeze it right now where it is and then improve from there. Um, We'll get into state assets later because that's a subject I haven't really discussed. And I think uh, you're somebody I could learn from a lot on that. Um, In terms of the... Okay, we'll go back a bit now. The way things happened in October 2019 and November, in the early months, the way the lira began to fall, and you were in the banking sector before... And I'm getting from what you're saying already, and we've had this discussion in private as well, that there was writing on the wall. It's yeah. just that yeah, yeah. there was also hesitancy maybe to speak up, that there was a there was perhaps enough pressure in place so that more voices did not share what was happening. It was almost a, we all know that it's bad, but we're not going to make it worse. We're going to just 
lay low. Do you think the decisions taken in 2019 are the issue? Or is it really an issue that goes back years earlier, if not decades earlier, that this is a build-up? This is definitely a build-up. Okay, so... This is a build-up, and it's a build-up from the strategies that that I talked about before. It's just like the one-engine plane that was... But if you were to offer as like almost a doctor's examination report, and let's yeah. say your medical, it's a TV show, yeah. and you're yeah. you're hired yeah. to, could you pinpoint exactly what the mistakes were? Not in terms of Lebanon's place in the region. So, governance. Oh, governance. Governance. Okay. Governance. Okay. okay. Transparency. Okay. Accountability. So, That's mistake yeah. number one. When you don't have this, yeah, you have nothing. So I'm going to because I'm trying to throw trust into the equation. It seemed like we all trusted the system, even when we shouldn't have trusted it. And I'm not talking about the last few years. No, I don't think we trusted the system. I don't think that if you ask, I think if you ask any Lebanese, mm. he would tell you, I don't trust the system. Mm-hmm. Lebanese, they don't, we never trusted the system. But we thought, yeah, it could continue like this forever. I didn't mean, uh, I'll say it better, you're right. That's a sloppy way of describing it. Not, not trust in the way that we trust other systems more. And we put we would perhaps now look to those systems rather than this one. More that the writing on the wall that appears in the last few years doesn't necessarily appear twenty years ago. Or if it definitely is, not. Right. It it won't appear twenty years ago because yeah. you were just you just came out of the war. Yeah. And then you mismanaged the country. So the gun- so you never had yeah. debt and dollar. You never issued that in dollar. Your debt mm, is in Nero, mm. was in Nero. Mm-hmm. So you started issuing debt in dollar, a currency that you don't print. Right. And then these debts started to build up because you have a budget deficit and you have a current account deficit. So you need dollars yeah. in order to fill the gap. So you ended up borrowing, borrowing, borrowing some more. Mm, mm. Eventually... You had to service that debt, and the, and that was like the vicious cycle because interest payments on your budget right. increased with the debt, and which created an even bigger uh, deficit on your budget. So debt is that the is one that, of the issues is that yeah okay. And I'm sorry to ask it in a very simple language. Yeah, yeah absolutely, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to look back at exactly what it is that absolutely. So, it's so, a build up of debt, and in debt, it's the decision to peg the the lira. At the one thousand five hundred lira rate, that makes you makes it harder to service the debt. The debt, the, the lira is a different uh, question. The lira, mm. the lira, the overvaluation of the lira, mm. it being pegged, pegged at uh, at fifteen hundred, mm-hmm. made it easy for people to consume. And right, for someone yeah. who is being paid a couple of million uh, Lebanese pound converted into dollars, that was like two thousand dollars. Right. So that made the cost of living relatively cheap for you mm. you could uh, import your Porsche you could import anything yeah, you yeah. wanted for cheap <laughs> and that that was that was that was that was the issue we mm. were living on uh, borrowed time because we were using the overvaluation of our currency to consume beyond our means so the debt and that issue the fixed rate fixed zero rate are not necessarily combined though so they're separate issues. Yeah, because the government, if, for example, if the government imposed on itself a proper uh, uh, restrictions and it was uh, it, 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 that led to uh, creating surpluses and not deficits for the last 20 years, mm. uh, it was fiscally prudent, then in this case, your debt wouldn't have increased right. at the same rate or it even to have decreased in our... Uh, and the lack situation. of transparency means that we didn't know how bad it was. Is that, I mean, because going back to exactly why it crashes so quickly, is it that we didn't know how grave the situation was in terms of debt? Some people knew, but mm. you don't expect uh, someone who's working in, uh, in different industries uh, focusing on making ends meet to yeah. understand the intricacies of finance right, and to know right. about uh, government policies and government financing to understand that what's being done is wrong. Mm. But you felt it. Yeah. And even if Lebanon was not prosperous enough. Yeah. And then you'd say to yourself, how can 
a country, a corrupt country, be prosperous. And we go back to the same issue. <laughs> That's actually well said. As, yeah, I like that. So debt is one thing, which is severe debt. I mean, we, we know... Yeah, we, our debt to GDP was at some point in time 200%, which is right. the second highest in the world after Japan. I, I, you know, I forgot about that. That's true. Yes. And, but Japan can afford to... Yeah, because yeah. It's, it's, debt is, it's locally held. Right. So debt, corruption, which I think feeds into accountability and transparency, that a lot of this money was not used... Appropriately, it was not used appropriately. It was not used to invest in productive projects and infrastructure. Right. And what do we need? You need proper functioning uh, ADL. Yeah. Proper internet, proper roads. You know, it's easy, and I I don't have any experience in in, in, in managing uh, the stuff. But you know, yeah. What do you need? It's easy to put it on a list and say we need this and this and that. And everybody's been talking about that. It's not something new. Right. The problem is the money has been flowing in and it's going to different pockets and to different uh, parties mm -hmm. without actually making it to uh, to the productive uh, projects. So these are clear terms and that's what we're living through right now. Lack of transparency and accountability and the corruption we always talk about and the debt that just accumulated over time. Does that fixed lira rate have any role to play in terms of making things harder? Yeah, of course. It, it, it made things harder because at the end of the day, when you, again, when you're using an overvalued lira mm. and when there's a lot of demand on, on, on dollars, you know, who's going to be providing these dollars? You're selling your lira. Right. And the central bank was providing these dollars. So then, okay, these are three or four factors and we could probably, there's many more, but looking back in time, I, I just missed that conversation altogether, that nobody was saying it this way. We were all, in a way, reflecting on regional problems and, and almost like Lebanon's paying a price for things that are beyond its control. Does that contribute, at least, to that list? That's, that's the, I think that's the easiest way out, to say that mm -hmm. we're not to blame. And it's always regional yeah. uh, policies and geopolitics and uh, so on and so forth. It's, easy, it's always easy to blame someone else. In our situation, again, we go to the issue of governance. All the money that went into the country, yeah, and it, I think in 2008, 2009, when you had the financial crisis yes. in the U.S. Yeah. Lebanon was I not think, so bad because it was already exactly, bad. Exactly. It was considered a safe haven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of money went into the country. Yeah. It went into the country, and unfortunately, it went into the banks, and banks, mm. they, they, they lent. 20 to 30 percent, I think the loan to the deposit ratio, uh, and most of it went to the central bank and sat with the central bank. Yes, right. Because it's, it's not productive. Yeah. The money is not productive. It, it's, that's why they, it's, called, it's called the rentier economy, because it right. goes into uh, to deposits, get high interest, it goes yeah. into real estate, get rent income. It go, it, it's not invested in productive. Uh, uh, projects, mm, mm. industries, technology, you know, what does it, why can't we have a Silicon Valley in uh, the Bacar Valley, for example, or somewhere else? You know, we have the know-how, we have the expertise, mm. look at the mm. Lebanese succeeding in, in the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, I'm sure they, you have a lot of Lebanese sitting uh, as CEOs in a lot of the most important major companies in the world. So why can't we do that, replicate the same experience in Lebanon? What's missing? May I, I always ask myself, what's missing? And it's a, may, may I play devil's advocate? Because I like that you said it up front and you said it in a, in a very uh, straightforward way that it's an easy way out of looking at the internal uh, disaster, which I agree. It's a cop out almost that yeah. you, if you're just ignoring the local and looking at the regional, you're missing at least half yeah. the story. Yeah. But would it be fair to say that the desires you just shared, maybe you're saying you're saying it in a way of thinking... You're sharing a, a desire that I think all of us have, which is Lebanon's potential is lost. Would you put the onus there at least on the problems Lebanon has no control over? Because Silicon Valley and Baalbek, to me, seems like almost wishful thinking. Even though I would love to see that kind of service and sector in Lebanon, not in Dubai 
or Abu Dhabi. It should be here. Is that, and not, not Baalbek in particular, just Lebanon in general, that we miss out because of politics, not necessarily the bad decisions taken by the central bank or, for that matter, local corrupt leaders. I'm trying to put it in perspective a bit. Uh, you're trying to take me into politics, and this is a subject I don't like to talk about because uh, it's it's like a catch-22. Because mm, mm. and it's okay. So what do we do? You know, there's a situation that we cannot work around it, and it's like uh, I don't know. It's like in, in, in Star Wars, like there's like uh, <laughs> Star Trek. There's like Kobayashi Maru. This exercise where that, oh, that, that doesn't have any solution. That oh really? You have it? to. <laughs> You have to, you have to uh, complete. Yeah. So, where's the solution? You know, we are, you know, there's a political reality in Lebanon. It's yeah. been there since forever. We surrender. That's it. We don't do anything. We say that because there's X. Well, he's just he surrendered. Just, <laughs> because this is the the fact on the on the ground. This is the reality on the ground. We can't we can't do anything about it. You know, it's okay. Just let's. Well, everyone leave to Canada, to uh, to the Gulf, or to and just leave this country. Not that. What's, and, what's and the solution? I know you don't. I mean, I agree. With this doesn't have to go too deep into the political sphere, but more that the fact that the decisions that were not taken mm. to mitigate this disaster are they really a, a local issue only? At the end of the day, not in terms of excusing the bad decisions, but more that it, there's no reason today why things are stalled. And it, it almost seems like everyone in place today that should do better refuses to do better. And we're still in this sinking ship two years after the crash, more than two years, trying to understand why when all the writing is on the wall, that we're still in this mess. Because corruption to me is obvious. There's yeah. I mean, immeasurable corruption in this yeah, country. Yeah, yeah. But that does not excuse the predicament Lebanon is in. In a way, it's almost like there's collateral damage that is not ours necessarily, and we can't really go to places that we need to go. Let me throw an example. Uh, I'll take it in the simplest way. Uh, it's a conversation we've had before. Uh, there are people in this current cabinet that are from the IMF. I mean, there's one guy in particular. Yeah. And uh, he's a deputy prime minister, Saad al-Shami. He's an IMF guy. I think was in Kuwait before returning to Lebanon. A very, a fairly shy character who likes to perhaps, he prefers numbers maybe to media spotlight. But that's good. You want someone like that in the True. IMF deal. True. And that somebody like him still cannot get us there. <laughs> Is that his... F I mean, without... I, I'm trying to avoid geopolitics more that he's not the reason why we don't have an IMF deal. Of course deal. not. Right. And if you remove him from the equation and put someone else in, we'll still be in the same situation. Most Is that a fair way to look at it? Yeah, because yeah. It's that, that's the political structure that you have. Mm, mm. And that's what should, what should change. That's the purpose of the elections in, in, mm. in May, mm. is to mm. try to, to change the structure, is to change the political gridlock. Mm. There is a political reality in Lebanon that we cannot disregard. That's mm. true. Mm -hmm. But we need to start to change. Yeah. If you don't start now, then when do we start? And after all mm. that happened, mm. yeah. and no, August 4, the biggest tragedy that we've had, a financial collapse... What does what, what what is it going to take us to 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 move towards change to change what what's happening now? Mm. It's mind boggling, you know. Given everything that happened, and you feel that you're living it's like Groundhog Day. Yeah, it's like same thing, lira up, lira down. Right. Uh, IMF talks starting next week. Budget next week. You wake up, nothing next week. Lazar plan next week, nothing happens. Yeah. You, s you spend the year just discussing an accounting measure, which is like, what is this, uh, this size of the loss? Who cares? Start doing something. And in the background, there's experts that are offering solutions. A lot of experts. But there are a lot of experts. Yeah. You cannot imagine the number of smart Lebanese 
they, they, they can give you all, you know, I say economic solutions are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. Now, you need the political will. Well said. I, 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 I mean, I don't know if elections can change the system. I mean, it's the elections are still elections within this disaster. But, uh, but I agree with you that there's no, no reason to just simply surrender. So I think we're stuck in a way between knowing the way out and unable to make critical decisions at the same time, which is really the catch-22 that you hinted at earlier. Yeah. But let's zigzag back into what you described, which I agree with, a rentier economy where people are living off of maturity yeah. and uh, real estate that just rented out endlessly. We had this discussion earlier. Uh, I have friends that somehow managed to live off of that system and they did okay now they're not but they did okay for years and it's almost discouraging to work where you can just in a way take it easy no even if you know the system is not built to last but you're making a few hundred dollars a month maybe off of maturity maybe more depending on how you are getting eight to nine percent on your pounds yeah yeah Five to six percent on your dollars, and again, the lira was back. Yeah, so it's like getting nine percent on your dollars. It's the same, right? You could simply just switch them back and forth. Yeah, that's for the last twenty years, and then you had the financial engineering. Yeah, some people were getting twenty-five percent. Anyway, can you just think twenty-five percent in return? And you're going to be invested in cryptocurrencies and risky and stocks in order to get that kind of return. Yeah. To get 25% from a deposit, it already tells you something. Come it just it, a little closer. Yeah. It already tells you that, shows you that there's, there's something wrong in the country. So I agree with you fully on that. And at least in terms of society's well-being, it doesn't encourage almost, it doesn't encourage saving. It encourages recklessness. And laziness. But but I'm going to ask you just yeah. now that that's gone and we get 0% today, if not negative with the haircut, and we'll get into the haircut later, but do you think that that is a system that is over, that we should not and we will not expect the banks to do that for us ever again? And that may have, in a way, a positive end, which is the hard work that wasn't necessarily done after the civil war may actually now start where you're supposed to invest in your economy, not invest in financial engineering. My guess is the first sign of change is when you have one corrupt politician or government official or public servant put in jail Mm -hmm. for fraud, for corruption. That's Mm -hmm. probably is going to be the first sign that we are on the right track. Mm-hmm. And before we have that, I think it's just talk. Until there's action on the ground in terms of fighting corruption, in mm. terms of implementing proper governance, we can be talking about the economic situation in Lebanon and the political situation for the next 100 years. Mm. Nothing would change. This is what needs to be to change in Lebanon. Is the, the proper... Uh, how would you say, implementation of rules and laws. And uh, so to make sure that this never happens again. So you're looking at justice. Yes, of course. How can you expect people to realize that something in the system changed if they don't see people being brought to justice, if they don't see people being held accountable for acts of corruption, fraud, starting with the, the smallest individual mm. to the highest government official. Mm. I think this is what needs to be done before we start talking about change. Otherwise, it's going to be the same experience that we had after the Civil War. It was the warlords yeah. that became our uh, CEOs and CFOs and government officials and politicians <laughs> and whenever, whatever you want to name them. And they drove the country to the ground. Hmm. So if this experience does not change and it's repeated now under a different format, 
then you can never expect change. I share that sentiment, and it's hard for me to see that happening because of the political disaster that impacts Lebanon and the region. But we don't need to go there. We can shelve that discussion. I think that's a that's also yeah, an endless, that's, it's an endless discussion as endless well. Loop, it's, a, yeah. it's a different yeah. Let let's go a bit into two things. First, what a haircut will look like, and if it's already happened. From my understanding, the Lawler rate is an effective haircut. It jumped. It doubled. Uh, not too long ago. That, that to me is haircut when the inflation rate picks up and catches up with the lawler rate. I see that as a de facto haircut. And is that true at this yeah. point? So that is the haircut. It's already happened in a way. Ronnie, the only solution for the, for, for the system to work again or for them to make it work again, because it could work in different ways, they're going to lurify deposits, a process that they mm-hmm. already started doing. Mm-hmm. And a, when you take out your dollars at 3900 or at 8000 yeah. you're actually admitting that these dollars are no longer dollars. They're just right. Lebanese pounds. Right. We may disagree on the rate, but they're just Lebanese pounds. So that is, the dollar is a haircut in itself. It's yeah. just When the, the market rate is at 30000 and yeah. you're getting your dollars at 8000 hmm. you're getting haircut yeah you're getting a discount on your dollars so in a sense there's no need any longer to do something more dramatic it's been done that is the haircut it's not it has it's it's done but yeah it not not in the amount that they or the speed that they want it to be done right because right you still have 100 billion dollars <laughs> yes and the right. talks are that yeah. they're looking to lyrify up to 60 to 70 billion dollars yeah so that's going this is this is no longer be going to be dollars this yeah. is going to be lira mm-hmm. at a rate that they're going to agree upon. Right. And this is how they managed to get rid of the loss on the yeah. balance sheet. Yeah. You had a gap between dollar cash you had and dollar liabilities. Yeah. You take it out by 70%. You discount it by 70%. So instead of $100 billion dollars, you end up with $30 billion. That's the liability that you have to depositors in dollars. Yeah. And then the remaining $30 billion, you find a way to pay them in installments. If that is actually structured to the point that it becomes policy, do you see a reaction that will be, in a way, collateral to the government? Because I can't imagine... I mean, is that a de facto situation? And we just have to... The, the, the problem is there are moving, so many moving parts to yeah. this decision. There are loans priced in dollars. Mm, mm, mm. So this, it's like, I don't know how they're, they're planning to handle the situation. I'm, I hope that there's a public outcry. Yeah. There's public reaction. Because if they can do this, they can do other things as well. And they've been doing everything for right. the last 20 years. Yeah. So we need to see some kind of reaction towards this. Mm-hmm. But my guess is nothing is going to happen because yeah. people are going to say, okay, we got our money back. Uh, Riyad Salem is going to keep hopefully intervening. We got the market enough to of keep, our money back. Yeah, not, to, keep, yeah, yeah. To, to keep a certain semblance of stability. Uh-huh. So, and if you have an IMF program, things are going to stabilize. So, mm. But let's see. I don't know what's, what's, what's the reaction of the IMF is going to be. What's the reaction of the rest of the government is going to be? The rest of the political parties is going to be. And there are so many moving parts. You yeah. cannot say that this is the best way or this shouldn't happen. Because, and I know that they are not looking at the different alternatives and looking at the different uh, right. the aftermath of their decision. Yeah. They're finding, I think, the easiest way, like they've done so far, mm. in order to get rid of the problem. Right. And that seems to be where everything is going. Yeah. Yeah. Tagging sort of in parallel to the haircut, this folklore, the capital controls law that never happens. You don't, you don't need any capital control. Yeah, yeah. The only reason that would, you, would, you would need a capital control at this point in time is, is if there's an IMF program hmm. that the money that flows in doesn't flow back. 
Oh, oh, I see. So the capital controls is really meant for now. Months. Yeah, right. Now, so they make sure yeah. that whatever money is going into this country it doesn't yeah. get out. But the, mm. you needed a capital control the second day that the banks closed or the whole thing started. Right. Now it's too late. Everyone who wanted to transfer his money has, has already has done already so. Done. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's, it's funny. When, when the, the more the picture is described, the bleaker the situation. It's almost, um, I mean, things just don't look in any way positive. Yeah. Even with a potential IMF deal, it's going to be painful for the time being. Um, but I want to wrap it up with something I've never discussed, which is the selling of state assets or the talk, the discussion. It doesn't hasn't happened. It may not happen, but uh, I think there is a genuine debate here over what to do in terms of whether or not this is sound policy and is it the kind of policy you would want in the current mess. My limited understanding is that should that decision be taken now, the way we live in Lebanon, it would be a complete disaster that you'd end up with money going to the wrong hands immediately. At the same time, it may not be a bad idea in itself should there be some structural reform that maybe the state does not need to hold on to certain assets. Could you elaborate on... on uh, I, I no, don't know the, if that's a fair way of even describing it, but it I is. Do, yeah. Listen, the, the, the government and its current structure and its current methodologies and governance... Hmm shouldn't manage even a small store. <laughs> that's the issue. Again, that's the issue. Like small con- I wouldn't trust them managing a small convenience store. I'm, I know they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna steal the money. <laughs> the cash register. That's the issue. That's, that's, I think that, that, that boils down to this point. Mm-hmm. If you had a proper management of the country, you don't need to sell the state assets. No, Electricité de Liban automatically should right. generate yeah. 10% in profits. Mm-hmm. Uh, telecom, they were doing just fine. So you wouldn't have to go down that road no, should there be don't. better management. Of course. Right. But is there any debate in the issue itself? That is there any? Would there be any reason to do it in a system that works better? I'm trying to think of... Uh, why this discussion even happens to begin with in Lebanon? Is okay, it- my question is going to be the following. Mm. To whom are you going to sell the state assets? Right. Is it to a consortium that's close to the ruling parties? Right, right. So that's the risk. In is this it going thing. to be one company owned by the Shias, one yeah, company yeah. <laughs> owned by the Maronites, one company is, or a, a board of directors that's composed of all of these yeah. uh, parties? To whom are you going to sell them? Yeah. Is there going to be transparency in the state process? Uh, is there going to be... so? There are so many questions that are going to fall back to the same issues that we are suffering from. Right. That's why this is, again, the same catch-22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whichever way you look at the problem, you end up pointing at the same people. Right. They are the issue. Their management of the country is the issue. So even if you give them all the resources, if you give them gold, they're going to turn it into dust. <laughs> That's what happened. I like no, your look, analogies. They're actually at, quite... Uh, yeah, look at the country. Yeah. The smartest people, uh, achievers, uh, uh, you have f- five, six million expats. Uh, you look at different industries, you have a lot of Lebanese succeeding. And then you mm. come back to Lebanon and you see this. Yeah. No, it's not us. Yeah. But we've been pushed into it. We've been pushed to a certain level of complacency that we lost in the process our sense of identity. We lost in the process... The, 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 uh, we, we stopped resisting. And it, we just took whatever they were giving us and we went ahead with our lives. We did not stop at any point point in time to think. I know that you see a lot of, I don't know, uh, you see a lot of uh, movement on uh, Twitter, on social media. You had the October uh, revolution, I would call it. 
But it stopped. I don't know why it stopped. It should have continued. Until they made sure that there's no one left. I know that's, that's my, my perception of things. Mm-hmm. That's my perce- perception of things. And I'm sad in a way because I want things to get better. But I know that given the track record so far, there's a high risk that they don't. And I want to brace myself for that scenario. And I want to think of my family at some point in time. And I'm sure that a lot of people are doing the same. Yeah. That's what, what, I don't know, that's the conclusion that you reach at some point in time. Is it better to leave or is it better to stay? But at this point in time, I feel that the battle is still not lost and we still have some resources to turn the tide. So. I will take it one step further. Usually these kinds of poetic words that are in a way, uh, I mean, there's a lot of pain in any discussion when it comes to Lebanon. Even in the most uh, mundane situation, there's this background of... Uh, we're all hurting in different ways. And obviously the financial crisis is the one I think that hit us hardest, but there's everything else there as well. Um, with your permission, I'll go one step further and we can wrap it up on this. I know you don't want to go down the political route, so I won't focus on politics. So I'll just hypothesize here. The question you asked, which is important, that yes, you had activism, you had not social media, you had real activism on the streets, you had half the population going up and protesting. Two. Two and two years and three months ago. Yeah. I mean, even in 2020, before the blast, you still had that momentum, if you will. Would you entertain the idea that this is what happens in a country that suffers in a way that most countries don't, which is we pay a price for being Lebanon. That we can't escape things that, in a way, haunt us, and this is now going back decades, that has less to do with identity, and maybe even, I would pause it here, this is a, you tell me if you agree or disagree, it goes beyond the pathetic warlords that inherited this country after the war because I would like to see them all go and the way you mentioned it earlier you want to see at least one person behind bars that's already a starting point that hasn't happened would you entertain that that this is why we grew up in a country that is this disfigured and and screwed up that it's not about uh, the names that we know necessarily the good and the bad it's not even about the aspirations on the street or the shyness at times of yeah. people that don't want to push the envelope. So I don't want to sound too romantic here and whatever the word is, but is that a fair way of looking at it? Or would you say, no, it's still our local problem and it's a local issue and that we need to just hone in as much as we can? We cannot disconnect ourselves from the world. Hmm. But again, it's easy to blame others. I'm sure that there are some regional influences that are, and cross currents that are uh, impacting the way politics is done in Lebanon. But we could just take the decision at any point in time to say, this is how we want things. Mm-hmm. Because if you let other people intervene in your affairs, they're going to do that. And they're going to consider it... Uh, acceptable to uh, to tell you what to do in uh, government uh, policies and uh, other issues. It's up to you to own up and say enough is enough and this is how I'm going to be doing things from now on. Yeah. And this, I don't know, that hasn't been done. It's difficult. I know it's not easy. It's not going to happen tomorrow. Change is not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to take some time mm. to start seeing the advantages and the, the results of of the change Right. But again, it's the first mile. Yeah. It's working towards this. And like I said before, it's not going to happen unless you see someone 
actually incarcerated, actually put in jail because of embezzlement, fraud, mm. or whatever. You imagine a domino effect in a way that that could... Yeah. yeah. I think it's yeah. just... It's a, a power law. It's like, you know that the grain of sand, when you just put one grain and just collapses, just yeah. all it takes yeah, is yeah, just yeah. one grain, right. and the whole system would collapse. Yeah. It just happens in complex systems. Mm. All you need is just like this grain mm. to make all the system collapse, to lead to the collapse of the system with them on top. I don't know what's the trigger. I thought that the WhatsApp tax, as trivial as that was, could have been this like... Oh, I, I think maybe hundreds of thousands of people agree with you in yeah. that moment. And then perhaps more if you go abroad... There were enough Lebanese, perhaps in the millions, that saw it the same way. Yeah. And I thought for a moment, too, that this is, the, this is the line. And then when you realize the line is crossed and it stays the way it is, that's when I begin to wonder just exactly what's going on. But I appreciate you going down a bit on this road because I like hearing diverse opinions on this issue. And I think uh, I admire the way you're focusing in on, on us, that we have, a, we have the strength to do yeah. it. Yeah. It's just that... We're not there yet, but we will maybe get there over time. I, uh, I learn a lot from your articles, and uh, I'll make it clear that uh, anyone that wants to learn more uh, should check out your column in Lorient today. I think they have an advantage in the English-speaking uh, market when it comes to explaining what's going on, and it's a bigger advantage with someone like you. So they should not let you go at any point. Actually, um, I work with a great team, and I... I it's, it was an opportunity for me to start my journalistic career at mm-hmm. Lorient today because yeah. first I work with professional people and I have, we have great people on the team. I have great editors mm-hmm. and uh, they always push me to uh, explain myself more, mm. to not write for myself because right. when you come from a technical background, you have the tendency of writing in technical terms, yeah. of, of writing in... Uh, uh, to explain things to yourself, not to your reader. Mm-hmm. And they always remind me, no, this is not for you. You need to write to the readers. You need to explain things more. Uh, and I've been learning a lot, and it's been a fun experience. It's a fun, for, it's a fun experience for the reader as well, yeah. learning with you. So thank you for doing that column. I, I read you regularly, and I'll keep reading you. Uh, I appreciate the clarity you speak with, and... Um, I hope the next time we speak, it'll be on slightly more positive <laughs> terms. <laughs> Although, who? I mean, that's that's a risk. It's a gamble to even say that at this point. Regardless, thank you for explaining a lot this evening. I, I really appreciate it. Ronnie, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening and watching. And a friendly reminder to support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>